God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show. Bringing you truth, justice, and the American way of making money. I'm John Adams. Seated firmly in the free enterprise chair, speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. Coming to you live from an undisclosed location in a bunker somewhere in the southeastern United States, perhaps Southern Command headquarters on beautiful St. Simons Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. Thence broadcast 23,300 miles directly into outer space. This week affiliates, SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fruited plain to our vast EMR network. 331 stations plus the island of Guam. That's just the way it is. I am thrilled to have you with us for this special edition of the John Adams Radio Show. Let not your hearts be troubled. We will solve your real estate problems today. And as the sun rises on the American Empire, we are gonna, we've got a great show for today. That's just all there is to it. And I am thrilled that you are with us. It is uh, Saturday. And boy, have we got a lot to cover today. We need to get right to it. But let me tell you, we have got a lot to talk about today. Um, what? I have that problem. I do need to warn you that the views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the opinion of station management, but they should, because this program makes more sense than anything else out there right now. A little special thank you to our sponsors before we get started. Um, if you have mortgage lending needs, you need to talk to Peter Burke. And he has that easy to remember phone number, 678-557-9759. Um, he's happy just to answer lending questions, even if you don't use him for a loan. Um, and believe it or not, hey, that's his cell phone and he works all weekend. So that's the kind of people I like that give you their cell phone and say, call me if you need me. Um, that's what's called service. Another person that does that is Bill Preston over at American Comfort Heating, Cooling, and Air Quality. They're bringing comfort to America one home at a time. Hey, it's cold outside. What was Was that a Dean Martin song? Baby, it's cold outside. I'm not very good at Dean Martin. <clears throat> so you should be asking yourself, who is John Adams and why the heck should you listen to me? Well, the answer is pretty clear. I've been a property manager in Georgia for over 40 years now. I'm an investor and an entrepreneur. 
I spoke French for those of you in Smyrna. Entrepreneur means somebody who puts their money to use in a capitalistic way, which is getting harder and harder to do in this country, but we don't want to talk about that. Been a licensed Georgia broker since 1977, and I've had no complaints with the Georgia Real Estate Commission. I've never been arrested. I've never been bankrupt, although I've come close. Not going to tell you which. And I wrote the Landlord Survival Guide, which uh, that was in about 1995, 94. And we have sold literally tens of thousands of them because it's a good practical guide to how to stay out of federal prison and be a landlord. You know, it used to be we just tried to help people be good landlords. But now if you mess up, you're going to federal prison, buddy. So we don't want that to happen. And perhaps most important is I am an Eagle Scout, and that means I am trustworthy. And we are back with our very special guest, uh, John Mangum, CPA and Realtor and Investor and all-around good guy. Hello, John. How are you, sir? Hey, John Adams. Thanks for having me on the show again. Always glad to be here. Well, thank you, sir. You have been very generous uh, in sharing your expertise, and uh, I get nice comments about you all the time. I always reply to them and saying, you don't know the guy personally. He's a real, no, <laughs> that's not true at all. And um, in addition to being a very active investor and realtor and CPA, you have a day job. And as your day job, you are the 1031 guy, well-known all over Georgia. Um, and people can learn more about that at John Mangum, M-A-N-G-H-A-M dot com. And I wish I had johnadams.com, but the second president of the United States secured that before I was born, apparently. But anyway, <laughs> um, let's talk today about 1031 exchanges. And I've got some slides, but you do this for a living. Is that right? John, I, I do it for a living. And one of the, the high compliments I've received is that I take a complex topic and try to make it simple or straightforward. So when we talk about a 1031 exchange, and, and of course this is one of the last letters in our, in our Caladrexco series, uh, the X is for exchange, and we're talking about something that is arguably one of the most powerful tools that real estate investors have available. You don't start out with a 1031 exchange. You start out for cash flow and appreciation, and, and as you learn, but when you go to sell a property and you have a profit, there's a way to defer paying taxes on that profit. And it's section 1031 of the tax code. It allows you to avoid paying capital gains tax, defer it if you will. When you sell the investment property, you've got to reinvest. The 1031 exchange is based on a continuity of ownership interest. So if you bought something for 100, sold it for 300,000, uh, you know, some years down the road, you've got to acquire a replacement for 300000 or more. It's as if you're continuing your ownership of the asset you had before, but you have the opportunity to change what you've got into a different kind of asset. 
Very interesting. All right, well, let's just dive right into it uh, because there are some terms here that I don't understand. I'm going to ask you to just jump right on those. So let's let's um, forge ahead here. Um, the first thing is it's a way of saving taxes. What does that mean? So when you sell a property and you have a profit, Uncle Sam expects a piece of it. What? <laughs> If you make money, if you get a salary or hourly or wherever you make your money, even lottery winnings, you've got to pay the tax man. And when you sell one of your investment properties and you have a profit, you've got to pay 20%, that's the top rate, 20% on the on the profit to the federal government. Right. There's another layer. If you've taken depreciation deductions on your rental property, which was one of the benefits in Caladraxco, um, you've got to recapture that. And that gets taxed at a 25% rate. And then finally, in the state of Georgia, the Georgia Department of Revenue says, me too. And they're going to tax you at 6% on both the profit and the accumulated depreciation. Well, these don't add up as a number, but it does add up to a bunch of money in many cases, doesn't it? It can be a very big tax bill. Um, and John, as we talk about 1031 exchange and, and we boil it down into some simple phrases, you know, the first comment, the first essential element is simply saving taxes. But before you approach a sale, here's the, here's the walking around logistics strategy you need to keep in mind. Before you approach a sale, you need to talk to your tax preparer and say, hey, if I sell this property for 300 that I bought several years ago for 100, how much is my tax bill? Somebody needs to do that calculation so that you know the scope of the problem. So and and say, it's, it's a little bit of a moving target, isn't it? Because you've got depreciation going on in one direction, you've got appreciation going on in another direction, and you've got equity buildup that's that's happening in there. And, and you've also got uh, repairs that qualify as long-term improvements. There's just a lot of things, a lot of moving parts. John, there are a lot of moving parts and you know, not to get too deep into the weeds, but you just rattled off all the benefits that we seek when we buy investment real estate. We, d we want cash flow, we want write-offs from the repairs, we want depreciation deductions. And so it's important to know how big the tax bill will be before you get to a closing. So you know, when we talk about saving the taxes, just how good the benefit can be. All right, well, let's dive in here. What does the words with the, the phrase like kind mean? So, John, after we get past saving taxes and, and we're going to be exchanging a property, basically in the IRS world, the phrase like kind means any real property held for investment can be exchanged for any other real property to be held for investment. So I think you've got some examples. Let's let's look at that. You could you could exchange you know basic residential detached single family rental house for an office building, or you could exchange for a gas station, which is commercial property, or an apartment, which is multifamily. You could exchange for raw land or or land with timber on it. You could even exchange for a fractional interest in a replacement property. You could I've heard you talk about owner. that. Are those is that what you talk about when you say tick shares? Yes, sir. TIC is, is the acronym for tenant in common. Right. And, and that doesn't mean a tenant like a renter. 
It means a, an ownership form, a co-tenancy, where if you and I were co-owners in a property, we would be co-tenants. Right. And, you know, we'd have your name and my name on the deed, and we'd each own our respective percentages. Well, that that's pretty flexible, isn't it? John, it's, it's arguably one of the best elements of 1031 exchange when we talk about the four essential elements, saving taxes like kind. Okay, because well. The, the day comes when, and this is one of the favorite strategies people like to talk about. They've got their 10 little rental houses, they've got their cash flow going, and they wake up and say, I'm sick and tired of tenants, toilets, and termites. Right. And they, they wanna know, can I exchange these rental houses and buy a pretty rental property with sand in the front yard and waves crashing just beyond. <laughs> I mean, like is, Rosemary Beach, maybe. <laughs> maybe Rosemary Beach. If it's held for investment, yes, you can buy a beach property. And of course, being a good landlord, you'll have to go check on it from time oh, to time. Of course. Now, let me ask this question. So what I'm hearing you say is, I mean, if we're in the Atlanta area, does it have to be in the same state or how, how does that work? John, the beauty of, of working in this arena, it's federal tax law. So you can exchange across the 50 states. People who are coming out of California right now or New York can sell their property and exchange for property in Georgia. Wow. We've done exchanges in all 50 states. So That's amazing. You, you, you have not only the opportunity to change the type of real estate from residential to commercial, for example, but the location of the real estate. That opens up some doors. So if you think you're in a market that's peaked and, and you want to sell and you know of another market where you could go make a good deal, you can do that. You can go for it. How about Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico doesn't pay tax to the federal government under the same rules that the rest of us do. Puerto Rico would not be considered like kind. How about the Virgin Islands? The U.S. Virgin Islands have been deemed to be uh, U.S. possessions, and those actually can work. We've done a few exchanges. Okay. Not to the British Virgin Islands, because <laughs> you got, you got, they're all down there. Uh, we don't see that much. But but that seems to be that seems to be workable. That's very interesting. All right. Well, next phrase. What are the strict time periods involved, John? So, John, you know, I like to I like to keep everybody on the same page. What we've done so far is saving taxes, like kind. The next essential element is time periods. The IRS has put into place two key time periods from the time you sell or relinquish your first property, you've got 45 days to identify replacement property or properties. Okay. And you have a total of 180 days to complete the acquisition of the replacement. What they've done, John, is put some brackets around this process. The, the big case that it's based on, the Starker case, TJ Starker took five years to complete his exchange. And the IRS said, imagine if these things were held open indefinitely. People would never file their tax returns. Right. So they came up with these time periods. We think 45 is, is a bit limiting, but 180 seems to be really no problem for 99.9% .9 of the exchanges. All right. Is there any way that, let's say I come across a property on Rosemary Beach that's a heck of a deal, 
is there any way that I can acquire that property and then say, okay, now I'm going to go sell this house I own in Mableton and still do the exchange? John, you're you're asking about a reverse exchange. Right. And their IRS uh, revenue procedure, there's a revenue procedure available that basically permits doing a reverse exchange. And this is a good slide to bring this up because if you know how to do a regular exchange, saving taxes, like kind, time period, the rules for the reverse, you can buy the first one, you can buy the replacement before you have sold the relinquished. You've got 45 days to identify what? Your relinquished property. You have up to 180 days to sell the house in Mableton, to sell the relinquished. So the right, rules now, mirror. Go ahead, go ahead. The rules mirror a regular delayed exchange. Isn't that interesting? Now, when we say 180 days, is that pretty much the same thing as six months? Oh, John, there's a court case, just like there's a court case for nearly everything. I think there is. A guy did an exchange. He, he started in December, and, and I think he finished in, in uh, June. And he said, but, but it, I, did, I went six months. The problem is you've got December, March, May. Those months have 31 days. He went to the end of six months and stacked up 183 days. Oh, no. His exchange was overturned. He went to court. And the judge said, there's nothing ambiguous about 180 days. And he lost his exchange. So, so we better not say we better not say six months, huh? Don't say six months. <laughs> don't say I, I just, you know, let's don't let's don't trip ourselves up on on what can be just such an incredible benefit. You taught me that there is a specific phrase that identifies that 180 days. What is it? Um, the bright line test? Oh, it's a bright line test. Yes. What does that um, mean? Yep. Well, it, there's there's no blurring the lines. There's no, you know, my closing happened after five o'clock on this day, so I get to credit it the next day. So this is a rule. I mean, this is this is a rule, and it's a hard and fast rule. Okay, hard and fast rule. That's very good. Exactly. All right, next, exactly. next slide here. We've got a phrase that we need to learn called equal or greater. So along, along with the other three phrases, the essential elements of the exchange, the last one is, is, has to do with balancing. The replacement property has got to be equal or greater than the relinquished property, equal or greater in value. And if you break it down, and again, I like to say things in simple terminology, when you sell the first property and the cash goes into escrow or into a, a trust account, that cash has got to be spent on the replacement property. And if there was a mortgage on the first one, you've got to replace the amount of the mortgage with an, a mortgage of an equal amount or greater. The idea so, is... So this sort of lends itself to going into a more expensive property, but not so much into a less expensive property. So John, if you if you sell a property for 300 and you go into something for 350 or 400, that's pretty easy to do because you've got some good cash and you've got some good equity. However, if you were to go into, let's say you find a killer deal for 275, you sell for 300, you buy a replacement for 275, and there's some cash left over. That cash would come back to you after the exchange, after all the dust settles, and it's called boot. 
the good thing about it is you would only be taxed on the boot. You would only pay a little bit of tax on the 25. The rest of your tax benefits would be moved forward into the new property. So that might be a very viable strategy. I mean, it's not the end of the world to pay a little bit of tax. I just don't want to pay the whole kit and caboodle. The, the mistake I see people make occasionally, they sell for 300 and, and then they go looking in multi-list or they go to the market and say, I need 300 or more, 300 or more. I suggest you look down in the 250, 275 range, just in case there's a good deal there. Yeah. I would rather do the best deal I could do, put my cash in it and, and have a good, strong portfolio moving forward. But could I do two houses at 150? Oh, John, it's just math. If you're selling for 300, you can buy three times 100. You can buy two times 150. You could buy two times 175, and that would be a little bit greater value. It seems like this 1031 is a, a, a tool that I can use as I'm building my portfolio and building my net worth and building my cash flow. And then when I get to a life stage where I'm thinking about an exit strategy, I can also think about the 1031 as potentially part of an exit strategy. John, the, the 1031 in some cases is considered the single most powerful tool. You only use it occasionally. You only bring out the big weapon occasionally. You're getting cash flow all the time. You're getting appreciation as the years go by. You're getting depreciation every year. But the 1031 exchange to the experienced investor, you remember in another program, we talked about grading your portfolio. Yes. And C, and, and periodically you get rid of the C grade properties. When the market's at a point that you get rid of a couple of the C grade properties and you've got 10 houses and you've been gaining an experience, invariably when you do the 1031 exchange, you go out and find A grade properties. You're improving your portfolio as well as potentially enhancing your cash flow and improving your appreciation. Very, very interesting. Uh, the one thing I've taken out of this is I don't un pretend to know all of the uh, various details of a 1031, but I know this, I will never consider selling any property without talking to somebody that knows about it. And you're the guy, you know about it. Tell me a little about your affiliation with Starker Services, John, and how can people get in touch with you? Thank you. Thank you, John. I've been with a, a national qualified intermediary called Starker Services for 25 years, I believe. Wow. Long time. Long time. Um, we help people do their 1031 exchanges. We work in all 50 states. I'm the Southeast Regional Manager, so I work in Georgia, Florida, parts of Florida, Alabama, Tennessee. However, I've worked on transactions in Washington State, California, uh, because it's federal tax law, I can I can talk to anybody in any state about this process. And, and another interesting element, because it has to do with investment property and like kind is so broad, I can talk to the residential real estate investor as well as the commercial real estate investor. Uh, so I crisscross between those worlds also. Remarkable. If somebody had a quick question about uh, 1031s or wanted to just talk with you about brainstorming possible uh, alternatives to a regular sale, um, where's the best number for them to reach you? 
John, you've got it there on the screen. My Atlanta number is 404-352-1031. And we operate on the basis of a complimentary phone consultation. So if somebody's got some questions, um, if somebody's in the middle of a transaction, we need to be engaged. You know, we like to say a couple weeks, two or three weeks before you get to a closing. But I think we should have the conversation when you first put the property on the market so you understand the timelines, you know what you need to do to balance the exchange, what you can deduct, like commissions and things. So having that conversation, which can be five or 10 minutes, and, and I'll send some pertinent information, be glad for any of your, your participants, any of your listeners to give me a call or, or shoot me an email, whatever's easy. John Mangum, once again, a uh, uh, able to take a very complex subject, translate it right into English so that even a dullard like me <laughs> understands, or at least uh, has a notion of what's going on. John Mangum, you're at 404-352. What's that last four digits? 1031. Ah, that's right. I'll never forget. John, thank you. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to seeing you again real soon. Okay? My, my pleasure. Thank you, John. Fantastic. Take care. Bye now. My name is Paul. I'm a customer success manager at a SaaS company, and I give LastPass a four out of five rating. I use LastPass to securely log into my CRM and other platforms that I want to make sure we stay um, secure and keep everything safe so no one can steal any kind of uh, credentials from us. I also use it as a way to securely uh, share password information with other colleagues internally inside of the organization that I work for. What I love about LastPass is it's so easy to use. I get to use it on my uh, work device, my personal devices, my phone, everything. And it's extremely intuitive where you just create a username and a password and that's it. And it automatically takes all of the uh, password information I'm typing in for any new platform or website that I'm logging into. And it gives me an option to save because it has an easy to use Chrome extension that I use every single day of my life. It makes my job easier. I don't need to think about all the passwords that I have because there's like 50 of them. And it also auto, it, you can use it to auto create secure passwords where it'll use like, you know, 20 different, um, you know, letters, numbers and everything to make that password really hard to break in. And so I just love how fluid it is how intuitive it is. Um, the, you know, the other part that I love is, is it's two-way verification to keep things even more safe. If you just get that on your mobile app, you can instantly say, yes, this is me logging in. So I never worry about if anyone else is logging in because I'm also notified by them constantly. So the ease of use is absolutely my favorite aspect of it. The fact that it's there wherever I am is awesome. 
Um, and really, I, I can't live without it. So I'm a huge fan. Some things that I'm not a big fan of when it comes to LastPass is if my computer like ever just locks for a second, I instantly have to re-log into my huge password, right? Um, but the other thing that really is an inconvenience is if at any time LastPass goes down, I can't access any of my passwords. And because I use it as a portal for all my passwords, I don't memorize any of my passwords and then I'm locked out of everything. So if LastPass is ever down, I'm kind of stranded and I'm on an island and I can't fully operate in my job. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, with LastPass, they always want you to verify. They have the, the second verification on the mobile app or they make you do it on site of your email. Well, if you're ever in the chance of getting a new uh, mobile phone and then you're also not near your computer, you can't log into anything because you can't access your email because LastPass has it, but LastPass needs you to look at your email to get that secondary code inside. So you're in this like uh, problem of not being able to log into anything unless you go to a device that you are already have your email on. And then so it just, it kind of just funnels it through to where you're almost blocked from it completely. Um, I understand why they're doing it. They're trying to be safe, but there's certain times where it just really destroys any opportunity of accessing your email or any type of platform that you're logging into.
Thank you.